Beth and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and uh, a lot of the thoughts that I'm going to bring tonight, I have to be honest, stem from that conversation, because we want to be valid, don't we? You know, stuff that's coming up, let's address stuff that's rising, and, uh, you know, seek to bring life uh, into the situation that we're in. And I'm going to sort of label tonight's message, Messy Church. Oh, isn't that a cracking title? Messy Church. Who likes a mess? So all of you young people who didn't put up your hand, I'm just disgusted. I, I've lived with two teenagers, and I see how, as far as they're concerned, a mess is normality. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I like things tidy and ordered, and, and uh, I find mess really quite difficult to live with, I'll be honest. What? Yes, but it's under the eaves. Now, come on, let's put it in a proper context. I hoard, but it's in a hidden place. Yeah, we'll have this conversation after, Joel. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it nice that we can be honest, though, eh? Anyway, the little conversation that me and Beth were having was just about, you know, how things have changed over the years. And, you know, many of us have been brought up in a Christian uh, context, and certain things were passed down to us from our families. And so we have a particular view of the shape of what Christianity is. And then, of course, as things happen and then you get a piece of new revelation and things, you know, uh, 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 come to your, your understanding. And you've, you realize that, hang on a minute, where, where did I come to this understanding from? And we have to have the courage not to stick with something that was given to us, but we actually have to have the courage to say, this doesn't fit anymore, and I'm willing to, to, to move on. Now, I know that's hard for some of you, because I know for me, I mean, I'm 56 years old. I had my 56th birthday a week last Sunday. And I know um, that over the last 30 years, particularly, there are certain things that I struggled with because of what I was given earlier on. And it's like you're very loyal to what you were given, even if in the, in the gut of your heart, it doesn't make sense. Now, let's be willing. We sang that song a bit ago about if we're honest. Now, I, I've, I've got to be honest with you that a lot of us aren't honest. We're not because we stick with things that in the gut of our beings, we're not happy with and we don't feel right about it, but we go along with it because that's what we were given. Now, come on, is anybody going to say, yeah, that's right? Right. It's true, isn't it? And we are not afraid in this house to say, right, let's tackle this stuff Let's see what the new revelation is. Just like when the Pharisees came in contact with Jesus who was walking on the earth. Imagine how they felt. They had this incredibly cut and dry system that they were absolutely sure of and it was all amazing. And then suddenly Jesus turns up and starts doing, well, talk about messy disrupted their whole thing. And I'm going to get onto that in a minute. You know what I'm like. Uh, I have to go a little detour first to go back to where I'm going to start. You know what I'm like. Imagine what it was like for those poor Pharisees being 
sort of faced with a, a new paradigm. I mean, it must have been absolutely horrendous. And yet, Jesus, through his spirit, or God through his spirit, however you want to, to look at it, is still doing that today. Because if we're not careful, we have this crazy idea that God, as we have known him, is it. He's never got any bigger. He's never evolved or, or has any more to tell us or anything more to express. For crying out loud, I'll give myself to, to science if that's the case. Because at least science has got more to tell me. It's developing, it's evolving, yeah? So why should not the whole understanding of God? And yet we, we become so settled, don't we? Oh, this is what I understand. This is it, so small. And we say, well, you know, there's an old saying, well, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And you think, oh, how restrictive and limited is that view? Now, what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is just basically about who we are, who the rock is, what is our mandate, what we feel is the commission on our life. And you might say, well, I'm in it. I should know it. I don't know. Sometimes I think we have to go over it a bit, don't we? And I'm going to use a story from Scripture to um, uh, sort of to, to get that over to you. But I, there was something, it's, it's interesting that the, the guys in the back are doing the uh, pre, prehistoric month uh, and it's sort of featuring the crudes. Have you seen the crudes? Come on, hands up, you've seen the crudes. Oh, heck, you sad people. Crudes are amazing! I'm glad I've got Riley because I get to watch all these incredible movies. They're absolutely amazing. Uh, don't be afraid of watching some cartoons and some of these wonderful animated things because the, the storyline in, in them is amazing. But I can't sort of tell you the story. I'm just going to give you a line. Is that okay? There's a line at the end, and it's about a prehistoric uh, family who were obviously in prehistoric days. Um, right at the very end when the film's finished... She says these words, her name's Eep. Don't you like that name? Who's going to call their baby Eep? I like that. Okay, she says this. We changed the rules, the ones that kept us in the dark. Doesn't that make you tingle? They'd lived in a cave, hidden away, and they had to come out and face reality, and realize that yes, there was issues that they had to face, but they were going to live in the sunlight. Isn't that awesome? Our oh, kids back there are getting more than you lot are. The crudes is amazing, better than what I'm going to probably bring you tonight, but not quite. So, let me just say this. This is something I read in a book just recently, and uh, I want this to be the, the start of the, the little talk. The church should not be a change-averse community. This community, that's the change-averse community, sees the increasing acceptance of particular kinds of people as yet another slide down the slippery slope towards moral relativism and decay. But the change-catalytic community, which I'm going to tell you right now, we are... 
Okay. You don't even know what it means. Sees this increasing change as yet another step up in removing all dividing walls of Jews versus Gentiles, slave versus free, male versus female, and so on. This catalytic spirit was the way of the gospel in the beginning. Woo! Isn't that an awesome statement? Now that is what we are. We've put up there, running the race marked out for us, and I'll get there in a minute. But my story, where we're going to look at tonight, just to bring my point home, is Luke chapter 5, verse 17, in the New King James Version, if you want to put it on. And it's the story about the paralytic man who was brought to Jesus. And if you put it up, we'll, we'll read it. Okay. Oh, no, can I have New King James, please? I can read it myself. Okay, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who would come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And this is a very important line. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. What's that word? Oh, but I thought it was a story about a paralytic man. No, heal them. Who's them? It's the Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Woo! Isn't that awesome? Let's move on. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus said. When he saw their faith, and we could spend an hour talking about that. We talk about how a person has got to make the decision for themselves and say a sinner's prayer and do this, that and the other. But Jesus on this occasion said, when he saw their faith, he said to him, not that you're healed. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Oh. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. Don't like this. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? For crying out loud, he's just done something awesome for a poor guy who's paralyzed on a bed. And yet, all they can do is criticize. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They clearly didn't understand who he was, did they? But, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Now that's interesting, isn't it? He didn't say, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to heal, get up and walk. He says, the power to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, arise take up your bed and walk. I find that amazing, but you know, we, we haven't probably time to cover that tonight. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been 
lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Strange? That's an interesting word, isn't it, as well? So let just let me get back to my notes and we'll move on. Okay, the power of God was there to heal them. You see, it wasn't just the paralyzed man who needed healing. It was the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law that also needed a miracle in their lives. Because you see, they turned the good news of the gospel into something it was never meant to be. Oh, isn't that a challenge? What are we in this place passing on? What is our message? Have we turned it into something it was never meant to be? Oh, if that's not a challenge to, to you guys, it's a challenge to me. I know it's a challenge to Anth. I know it's a challenge to the leaders because we want to make sure we're being loyal to the gospel that Jesus brought, not one that's been constructed over many centuries and added to here and there, and oh, we better do this and we better do that. We want to be loyal to the gospel that Jesus brought. You see, we need to be offering Jesus to people, and you're going to freak now when I say this, not Christianity. Ah! He was the Christ. But he wasn't a Christian. Oh, dear me, that really confuses us all. You see, Christianity is about Jesus, not the religion of Jesus. The church should have one goal, and it should be forming Christ-like people who go out into the world and express a Christ-like love. Living kingdom ways. See, why should we be part of a church if that's not what the whole point is? So if Jesus turned up today, would we like the way he did things? I know this is offered as a, uh, as a challenge quite regularly. Would we like what he did? Would we accept the things he... I reckon we'd just... We'd write him off as a loony, wouldn't we? We'd say, no, 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 you know, we're not going to have an out to do with that. Because you see, at the end of the day, the Pharisees didn't accept the one who'd appeared as the flesh and blood of God in their midst. They didn't recognize that, that this person was going to bring new revelation and take them to a, a, a different level. So I want to ask the question, have we lost, lost sight of the purpose of the kingdom? Now, I'm going to answer that question for me as a leader. I'm going to say, no. And I like the fact that I can stand here confidently and say, no, I haven't lost sight of the purpose of the kingdom. Because the purpose of the kingdom is to make, to form Christ-like people who will go in the world and express a Christ-like love. And I want to ask you the question, are we doing that? I believe we are. Now you could say, well, why aren't the pews filled? It's because we're not here to build a, a, a room filled with butts on seats. And I'll probably get there on page five of my notes, but I'm not getting you know, there quick enough. Because you see, success is often measured by numbers. But I think even Joel mentioned it last week in his preach. You know the statistics of how many people make decisions for Christ are people who have already made a decision for Christ. 
So we keep measuring them, we keep adding them up and up and up and up and up. They've already done it. So we live in a fantasy. How do we measure whether the kingdom of God is growing? It's really in the aspect of Christ-like love being expressed. You know, I, again, I'm, I, I do it all the time. I'm moving on. So if I get lost, you're going to have to forgive me. But I, I spent two and a half hours last night with a, with a young lady. And this is how I want to put it. I spent two and a half hours worshipping my God last night. And I didn't say, I love you, Lord, once. And I didn't say hallelujah at all. And I didn't say praise you, Lord. But for two and a half hours, I sat with the lady being Jesus to her. Saying, neither do I condemn you. This is, this is the, the life of God to you. That there is an answer, there is a hope. Do you get what I'm meaning? I worshipped for two and a half hours. And I didn't sing one note. I didn't ring what, read one verse of the Bible. But I'll tell you what, I understand now that my love of God and my, how I express that love is when I am loving people. I did a whole lot of God loving last night. Do you get it? Okay, I'll move on. See, we, like, we all like to adopt what makes us comfortable. But in this house, what we now have to most of us isn't. Now, I said most of us because even for me, see, because I've come from a place where I understood how it worked. I'm now here and it doesn't feel as comfortable because I don't know how this works anymore. Why? Because we've lost some of the certainty and we've moved into a world of ambiguity. Oh, I had to learn what that meant a while ago. Ambiguity it means that it's not black and white, it's a bit grey. And sometimes we think, don't like who that is. We like things to be certain, don't we? Absolute. And yet in the kingdom of God, if you were to see how many different ways in the Bible a person is recognized as being a Christ follower, you'll freak. Because there's that many different ways that a person is recognised as being a Christ follower. So when we all get together and say, oh, well, if somebody gets, comes in, they come to the front of the church and they pray the sinner's prayer, Jesus, I accept you into my heart. It's a done deal. What? That's the one that isn't even in the Bible for crying out loud. So what are we playing at? Anyway, moving on. They brought the paralytic to the house, but couldn't get in because of the crowd. Just imagine that. A sick man couldn't get in because of the crowd. Now, there's a reason for that, and we'll get to it in a minute, because the sick, you see, were already rejected. Don't think, oh, that's terrible. It was just the done deal. That's the way it was. Sick people were recognized as already failures. They'd sinned, so they weren't allowed in anyway. Like I say, I'll get that to that in, the, in a minute. But you see, the new covenant of Jesus Christ is all-inclusive. And that's what this, really, this story really tells us about. Because thank God for people who understood a bigger covenant 
than what existed in the present of that story. Do you get me? There was something in there existed, but some people were willing to say, there's more. It's better. It's bigger. Do you get me? Because otherwise, if they'd have gone with the status quo, the guy who was on the, the stretcher wouldn't have even been given a minute's attention. Do you get me? Somebody went outside the box. They dismantled the existing structure. Because the only way in was a door. And we've said that the crowd were blocking that door and they couldn't get in. Now, who likes a mess? We're back to where we started. Because we can read this story, so, oh, everything's nice. Because they took the tiles off very carefully, chipped them, and as they were doing it, as Dave Craven, oh, he's not here tonight, bless him, is he? Oh, okay. It's just, I, I always notice Dave. Um, when Dave does a job, even if he drills a hole in the wall, he puts a plastic bag with a piece of sellotape just under where he's going to drill. And all the bits go into the bag. Oh. We've got none of that in this story. We've got guys on the roof chipping away at whatever. It says tiles in this version. But I'm not sure they had tiles in those days. I don't know what it was. But whatever, they did a bit of wrecking. It came in like a wrecking ball. You're not telling me that the people who were in that room below weren't going. <laughs> All the bits falling. You get me? Thank you, darling. So the mess just to get one person to Jesus. What a cost. What a clean-up operation. Imagine it's your house. And actually, what I'm trying to do is saying, it is your house. It's our house. We're the ones who spent years building it. And what happens when things have to be done that create a mess? And when the meeting's over, and the guy's been healed and he's run away and gone off to, to do his thing. And the friends have gone home thinking, yeah, come on. The people who had given their house to the vision of the whatever are left with a roofless place. Now, it's, well, it's no big deal. Yeah, but you've got the sun, red hot sun shining in the hole. You've got potential wind and rain and bugs and birds and leaves. I don't know. I'm just trying to create the scenario. Do you get it? It's not, it's not a nice situation that's left. We've had a great story, but it's not a good thing. You see, if you think of it as the ceiling, as a limitation that was moved... That limitation was moved in order to get someone else in. It also creates a problem. Can we stand the criticisms and the judgments and the rejections and the ridicules? 
just recently it was said, and I won't say where it came from, but it was like, go and tell your leaders of The Rock that the leading people are stray. Hang on a minute. All we've done is sort of remove the, the bit of the roof to let people in. And you think, that's unfair. That's, that's a bit... Can we stand the hostility from so-called others who love God? You see, we're going to love people, not just preserve the shape or the form or the, the, the structure or preserve a heritage. You see, from the moment that Jesus appeared in the flesh, what did he start doing? He started dismantling the ceiling that had been created by the religious who thought they knew what God wanted. They thought they knew who God loved. They thought they knew who God rejected. You know, they had it all sort of buttoned down. But Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start right at the, the, the root of this by actually dismantling everything. Even, for instance, things like, you know, there's that lovely verse that says, do you not know that the Sabbath was made for man, not, no, I've said it the other way around, haven't I? That, that man was made for the Sabbath, not Sabbath, no, I've said it the wrong way around again, which is it's the Sabbath for the man, that's it. Because basically what they we're doing was saying, here we have this great day that's made to be a wonderful gift for the people. But the moment the people tried to use it to be free, they told them that they were doing wrong. So it's like, hang on a minute. You give it with one hand and you take it away with the other. So Jesus, right from the moment he appeared, started to dismantle all of that. Anything that was a ceiling. Do you get it? What is a ceiling? It's when we reach, when we say it even in business uh, uh, situations. We talk about reaching a ceiling where we feel we can't go any further. And so Jesus was saying, hey, there's way further to go than you understand. So the rock for some people, they're struggling to, uh, to understand where we're going and uh, what are the results we're looking for. And I want to try and answer some of those questions. And I said it at the beginning, when you count decisions, sinners, prayers that are made, bums on seats. We're actually living in a false reality because really at the end of the day, like I said, and, and I'm, again, I've come back to this, have we formed Christ-like people expressing a Christ-like love? Do you see? Because that is the point. That is the whole, it's the whole essence of what the church is here to do. And so, it came up with a, uh, me, me and Beth talking about the skate park. And, you know, we go down to the skate park and there's a whole team who sit there with these kids who are doing their stuff. And you think, what are we achieving? What's the end goal? Where is it going to get to? And at the end of the day, you have to say, are we healing their view of God? Because if we heal their view of God, they will then quickly connect with the love of God that's already been shed abroad in their hearts. And that's what we've got to do. You can sit a person on a seat and not actually get them to connect with the love of God that's in their hearts. It's the 
this making sense? Are we creating an environment that honors God and his, in, and his love of people? See, in the story that we've just read, that sort of thing had a brilliant effect. Why are religious people always looking for someone to tell they're out? It's true, isn't it? We're not ready to say, you're in. We're actually wanting to find a way of deciding that they're out. Oh, it's not my story anymore. But back to the story anyway. Healing comes into the body and the body of the paralytic man when grace comes to the people. Was it worth the mess? Of course, here we could talk about the line of Christ. What a mess. What I mean by the line of Christ, I'm talking about is, is uh, descendancy. The people in the line, you've got Rahab, a prostitute. You've got Tamar, who was raped by her brother. You've got David, who had an affair and killed the wife of you know, sorry, the husband of his wife. You've got everything that basically we would all say shouldn't exist in a line of somebody who is going to bring forth such an understanding of the righteousness of God. But it's all there. It's all in the genes. How awesome. And Jesus came out of that mess. See, removing the existing roof and ceiling... The limitations allowed them all an opportunity to go beyond what they'd already mastered. There's a wonderful picture, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, one of those inspirational pictures and there's a big rock and there's a tree growing out of the top of it. And you think, how on earth has that tree managed to grow right at the top of that mountain. Because we're talking about sheer rock. And yet the truth is it went beyond what it had already mastered. See, he mastered the fact that if you put it in soil, it'll grow. Oh yeah, I can grow. Give me what I need. But this had found a way to grow regardless. Isn't that stunning? And this is what we're about. You see, the house that they took the paralytic in was never going to be the same again, was it? Even if they replaced the roof, it wasn't going to be like the roof before. And everybody who walked past it would say, that's the house. That's the house where they took the roof off to get the paralytic in. It would have a history. It would be known. Do you get it? It might even be a different colour. It might have a different shape. It would be different, wouldn't it? Now, I have to say this, and, and, and I'll qualify it in a minute. Some years ago, the roof was dismantled on this place. Now, I'm not talking about that. And I've painted that, so I know what it's like to paint that ceiling. So in reality, I'm not talking about it. You get what I'm saying? But in reality, the roof came off the ceiling of this place. And like I said at the beginning, some people say, well, it's never been the same since. And you're right. Because something changed, didn't, didn't it, in us all? 
we realised that some of the stuff that we'd been hanging on to for a long time were like the Pharisees, do you get me, who are in the house, but all of a sudden realising that there's a poor guy out here who can't get in because they're too concerned with their own stuff that the poor guy couldn't get in. So all I'm trying to say is that there was a point, now some might say, well, why do we have to keep going on about this time? Because there comes a point in, think of 9-11. We've just had that, haven't we? We've just remembered the anniversary of 9-11. And of course, it's all over the media of the conspiracies and da-da-da-da, all of that. It marked a point where people understood that something changed in the world. Isn't that right? And so you don't say, oh, well, I wish you'd stop going on about it. It's because it marks a point with people and humanity in history that we say something changed from that point. Now, I have to be honest. I don't care whether I'm the subject matter or not, but something changed from that point that I am absolutely proud of. And I'm not going to hide uh, about it. And if I was the man who owned the house, who the, the roof came off to let the paralytic in, who the paralytic man stands up and walks, I'm going to say, it was my house that the roof came off. Do you get it? Because it did some good. And I'm glad that the roof came off this place. And some people haven't liked it. Because they like the old way. They like the way it was done. They like some sort of worship where you sort of close your eyes and sing songs. And I don't, I, I, I'll be honest, it's like I said at the beginning, I don't even know who, who we're worshipping when we do that. Because you see, if, if I and the Father are one, like what Jesus said, I and the Father are one. When I worship, and I'm saying, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. Who am I worshipping? Because me and him are like this. Jesus used to say, I thank you, Father, that you've given me the opportunity to show you to these people. That's the sort of worship. Do you get me? We'll touch a bit more on that in a minute if I have time. Anthony and I know what it is to be rejected. And it's not just rejected by people in general, it's just it's by the Christian community. And it's not a nice thing. And actually, once you've un understood and you've felt that level of rejection, it actually gives you a heart for others who are rejected. And you see, Jesus was known as the one who was despised and rejected. And so when he arrives... Who's he going to connect with? The despised and the rejected. How awesome. So we've had to change in line with the new revelation. And no one's suggesting that it's easy. But we're running a race marked out for us. And our mandate was to bring down a religious spirit that was over York. And that means to remove any obstacle that gets in the way of getting God to people. Not people to God, but God to people, revealing what he's already done. Do you get it? John the Baptist, he had a clear commission. 
just like I feel we have. And it was not getting people to repent, to stop doing stuff or this, that and the other, but it was to prepare the way of the Lord. It was to remove obstacles. Listen to the obstacles that he had to remove. High places had to come down. Think about it. What's a high place? It's something that people can't reach. It's, it, it's something that's too, too much of a stretch, right? He had to fill valleys. He had to make it so that people weren't going to fall into ditches. Oh, isn't that lovely? He had to make crooked ways straight. What is that but just making it simple? Simple for people to understand and make a highway for God to get to people. Up to this point, people had come to God, had to do it in the right way, bring the right offering. But John was chosen to be the runner, the forerunner of tearing down of an old order in order to bring something new. Sad thing is, though, he started good, but he didn't make the transition. Why didn't he make the transition? Because the end of the story is that, that John recognises Jesus and he says, this is, he, this, is, this is him. But then he loses sight of the fact that he could still support him doing what he was doing. He could support Jesus in his work rather than thinking, well, that's it. I've done my job now. What am I going to do? So what he did, he carried on baptising people on the other side of the river. I mean, it's hilarious when you read the story. We haven't got time to cover it tonight. But he says, why did he carry on? Because there was lots of people and plenty of water. I find that hilarious. What a reason to do anything. I suppose he thought it was a perfectly valid reason. But in fact, what he should have done is saying, the job that I was sent to do, I've done. Now I'm going to throw everything in with Jesus and I'm going to be his first follower. Do you get it? But he never did that. But, and let me just tell you what he did. When we get our eyes off what the main aim, which I said at the beginning, was to make, uh, form Christ-like people who will express a Christ-like love. When we get our eyes off that, what happens is we get caught up with things that we were never supposed to get caught up in at all. And so what happens is he involves himself with trying to put people right. And he, he goes to Herod and he says, what you're doing is wrong. You, you shouldn't be doing this with, your, I think it was his brother's wife or whatever. And got himself all upset about what was going on. Ends up in prison, ends up getting his head cut off. And you might say, Oh, well, you know, that must have been the will of God. That was his story. That was his destiny. You what? No. Remember what I said a few weeks ago when I preached about the parable of the dragnet. We are not supposed to do in the present what the kingdom of God won't do in the present. It catches everything in the net until it gets to the eschatological beach, however you want to call it, at the end of time, the, the, when it's all over, and then the sorting is done. And John should have thought to himself, do you know what? This is going to have an opportunity and a time to be sorted. I ain't going to sort it now. 
And what do we do? We spend our time sorting out so much, don't we? That God says, leave it alone. Just be imitators of me, expressing a Christ-like love and leave the rest to that point of sorting that will come. And even then, you know, we've talked about that before. Even in God's grace, I know his sorting is going to be so gracious. It's going to be far more gracious than we, we would be now. But anyway, so, okay, let me just move on. Back to the story. Removing the, removing the ceiling made it possible for both the paralytic and the religious to be transformed if they were willing. Now, why would healing a sick man cause such an offence? You see, in their view, the sick person was only getting what they deserved. Now, that's an awful thing to say. And I'm glad that in the society, in the, you know, how we live now, we don't act that way. But that was very much like it was in that time. They would be classed as God's rejects. A sick person, a poor person, a foreigner. Heck, we're very racist, you know, in, in this year. And a person who didn't leave a, live a holy or a righteous life were all rejects of God under the old law. But you see, this was the crowd that Jesus felt most comfortable with. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Why was that? Because in themselves, they were disqualified. And you know, once you've understood that you yourself are disqualified, it's amazing how you're willing to trust somebody else. Isn't that amazing? You look for someone else to be the answer to your need. So what we have is this guy brought to Jesus, who the Pharisees, when they put him in front of Jesus, are saying... He doesn't deserve anything. The man was sick because in their opinion, he'd sinned. So what does Jesus do? And I just think this is gorgeous. He says, okay, if that's what you think about his situation, the best thing I can do is first of all, forgive his sins, which means he's absolutely valid to be where he is and so I can heal him. But you know what's amazing? To the religious, you can never get it right, can you? Never happy. Because if you bring in a poor person to give them a chance, then you're wrong for doing that. And then if you forgive his sins, you're wrong for doing that. You just can't, you just can't win. So at the end of the day, you can't win with the religious. And that's a very sad indictment. And I know at the moment, even with The Rock, there are some people we just can't win with because whatever we do, if we accept people, we're wrong. If we reject people, we're wrong. Whatever we do, we're going to be wrong. Anyway, enough said about that. There was a new paradigm that Jesus was setting. He was cutting across the established boundaries. He was truly unconventional by design and he turned everything on its head. The last were going to be first. The sick who was seen as rejected by God were going to be healed. The poor who were seen, well, you've cost you. See, the gods, uh, the gods uh, were rich. Therefore, if somebody on the earth was rich, that means they must have been favoured by God. So it was a system that was pretty horrible. But anyway, what Jesus was doing was bringing inclusion 
to the Gentiles instead of destruction and grace without limits. He brought everyone together under this incredible kingdom of God that was bigger than anybody had imagined. Now, there's a couple of lovely examples of this because when we're talking about what we are and how we're extending ourselves to take the roof off, to be, go beyond what we've mastered, you've got a lovely example. You remember the story of the, the madman who was in uh, the place of, of it was, it's called Gadarene. It was a place of cemeteries. There was tombs everywhere. And this guy was living there because he'd got himself in quite a mental state. And, you know, it, it was awful. But the, the story tells us that instead of Jesus, who, who really shouldn't have had anything to do with that, he actually went there. He actually put himself in a place where he wasn't supposed to be. And I suppose everybody looking on saying, what's he doing? He's breaking every rule. He's not understanding who we are and, and, and what we're about. But you see, grace is God being where we don't expect him to be. It's God accepting what we don't believe he'll ever accept. And he's touching what he's not supposed to touch. I love the just the memory of the song that used to be that he touched me and he made me whole. And I was thinking the other day, to be whole is not to be perfect. To be whole is to be integrated, to be together, to have it together, not in pieces. Living with the best of us and the worst of us, but united in the gospel and in the love of God. Isn't that the key? That's why the laying on of hands in the early church became so important because it was a symbol of what Jesus came to do. It wasn't just a technique, it was a statement that we're actually going to touch people who most of the time you weren't allowed to touch. Isn't that amazing? No, we're not in that anymore, are we? We're not in that same thing and yet some of the traditions we've brought even to this day, but they actually have no they have no reason to be. Now, I have no problem touching people. I love it. But I'll tell you what, it matters more when I'm in India with the AIDS women than it does here. Do you get me? So when I hug the ladies in, in, in Goa who are struggling with the disease and I touch them, they say to me, Why, how come you're touching me? And it matters. And that's why we have to be sure that we're doing what's valid, not just... We're, uh, our working traditions that now in this day and age in this place have, have no meaning. Does, does this make sense? So, in the old law, get clean and God will touch you. But in the new covenant, Jesus will touch you and you will be clean. Isn't that awesome? So one last thought and I'm done. There's a guy called Philip. And in Acts... 8.26, he goes out on a word of God, and I'm just being very simple about this just to get over a point. He goes out by the Spirit of God to meet somebody in a desert, and he met a eunuch. Now, a eunuch was one of these who were talking about a reject. Why was he a reject? Because as a eunuch, I know this is sort of a strange subject, it doesn't mean anything to us in this day and age, but he'd been castrated. That meant that he'd never have the possibility of a, a family. 
his whole life in the view of the pharisaical law was he was somehow, uh, well, I've forgotten the word I'm wanting to use. He, he, he was, um, well, he was crippled. Let's use that as a word. He was no good. And yet, Philip meets him and he gives him the good news of the gospel and something happens in his heart. Now, was he ever going to get his bits back? Now, I'm sorry if you feel I'm being crude, but was he ever going to get his bits back? The answer is no. So something in him was never going to change, but yet he accepted the grace of God on his life. And the, the story goes on to say, he gets baptized, he goes off to Ethiopia, and he was the one who was preaching the message of the good news of inclusivity to Ethiopia. Hang on a minute, he can't do that. He's got no bits. Now you all laugh at me, but that's how it was. Do you get me? He wasn't complete. Therefore, he was a reject. But what I'm trying to get to you is that we've come to an understanding in this place that Jesus came to remove the ceiling, to dismantle the roof. I want you just to imagine for a minute Philip and the eunuch climbing out of the banks of the river, dripping wet representing something incredibly new. <gasps> Can you feel it? Nobody could understand what's happened. No, he, he can't be in. He's out. Oh no, he's in. Do you get it? Full of the joy, probably crying that he understood that for the first time in his life, that he had a value on his life that was bigger and greater than he'd ever imagined. So, in closing, and I'm sorry I've gone on so long, forgive me if you're bored, but messy church is not just an excuse for something that's lost its way. It's messy on purpose. We've raised our ceiling to include more, to be more, to be more Christ-like, and it's costly. And some people might say, I don't want you removing my roof. I like the roof as it is. Well, I'm sorry. It's gone. And it will be built again. And it will go again. And it will be built again. And it will go. And it will be built again. And I want to say this as, as my heart, as one of the leaders of this house. I am willing to be ridiculed for this gospel. I'm willing to be ostracized for this gospel. I'm willing to be rejected for this gospel because actually I'm not ashamed of this gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I just think that that's an awesome thing to say about this house, that it's a house without a ceiling that's been taken away in order that all who will can be brought in. So I hope that that's just helped you know a little bit about who we are and what we're doing. And if you have any questions, you can always come and ask me. But would you like just to stand with me? I know I've gone on a long time. But I want you to have a, a revelation 
that there's a lot of rituals that we participate in to make us feel certain of things when actually they don't amount to a hill of beans, really at all. And I really would like us just to, for a moment, just to say, look, there might not be many things that I understand, but I'm actually going to free myself from a limited view of God when actually God's view is so expansive. It's so huge. And actually, I want to put myself in a position where I get a bit more of that rather than to restrict myself to any sense of old school or old covenant mentality which keeps everything in such strict order that people miss out on the awesome good news of the gospel. And so all I want to do is just say, Father, you know our hearts. You know that we want to see your, your kingdom grow but we're not going to get hung up on statistics and old methods. All we're going to do is be Christ-like and we're going to express that Christ-like love to the world. And as we do that, I just ask, Father, that you will just ignite in the spirits of people what's already there, that they might understand, they might know, and that we will turn this world into that incredible place of harmony and peace and reconciliation that you want it to be. I just ask, Father, that all of us here in our daily lives will just seek to bring healing to the world instead of pain. We will actually do our best to be inclusive rather than exclusive, that we will seek constantly to keep removing the ceiling and not live in limitation and restriction. I ask these things in your name. Amen.